This is an interview on November 1st, 2020 with Mantic Ritual guitarist Jeff Potts by Nick Perkel. Now, Jeff, tell me about getting your first guitar. Okay. Um, my first guitar was an acoustic because I I remember distinctly some friends wanted to start a band at school. I think I was in like fifth grade and we found out about bands and how cool they were. And it was the 90s and everyone was listening to grunge and stuff. And, and, and I heard Black Dog from Zeppelin on the radio. And like I can picture the scene. It was like a lightning bolt into my life. Like, okay, I guess I play guitar now. Um, so I went to the guitar store with my parents. And of course, the lady at the store said, well, you know, they usually quit in a week when they don't get famous, like really insultingly right in front of me, I still remember. And said, uh, you know, they should start up on an acoustic first. So I got this acoustic guitar that was bigger than I was. I was like a tiny kid. And I like hacked on that thing for a year and learned the basic chords and got some lessons. And then I got a Squire Strat kind of went from there. So my old first acoustic, I actually sold to the music teacher in my hometown. So I run into her when I visit home sometimes and, you know, just make sure it still has a good home. <laughs> That's cool. Now, did you take any private music lessons in the past? Yeah. Um, I took lessons of anyone I could. I've always been a student of music. So I started with the music teacher at my elementary school. Uh, I couldn't really find anyone to teach me in my teen years. I was in like a very small town and uh, it was funny. I, I was already like, I got turned on to like Symphony X and, and power metal and Yngwie and, and prog metal and stuff and really, really, really dove into it around the time I was maybe 15, 16. And by then I had like, you know, learned a rough gen, learned a Zeppelin album note for note and it, you know, I would go to the teachers around there and they were like, I have nothing to teach you. So I went to school for music. I actually dropped out to move to L.A. with Mantic. But I went to school for music and starting last November, I started taking piano lessons, which has been really cool. Now, have you taught private music lessons before? And what is the most important thing you try to impart on your pupils? Uh, I teach guitar lessons. Generally, I guess I just teach music lessons for a living. So that's like what I do now. And I've had a lot of just like rando private people over the years. I think it was you that sent me the interview with Chris from Skeletal. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, which I was honored to find out that I taught his only lesson ever. Because, man, I like gush about that guy's band all the time. They're like the reason I'm still into death metal. So that's cool. But like, what did I try to impart on students? Um... It depends on the student. I find a really big one is like, don't be afraid of making mistakes. Uh, a lot of people like lock up and it's like, look, you're playing the guitar. This is a young instrument. It's a new instrument. You should take your own approach. And like, it's music. We're playing. You play music. You don't work music. So like, I have to try to teach people like, don't be afraid to like roll around in the mud a little bit. It's fine. And the number one thing, because I wish people would have hit me harder on this, is timing. Timing, 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 timing. Like, God, when I listen back to any old recordings from, like, before the Warbringer record, when Steve Evans whooped my ass about timing, that's all I can hear is how bad the timing was. And I, I think everyone should pay more attention to it. <laughs> now, tell me about how Mantic Ritual formed. 
They met in high school. I know Dan, I think Dan started the band. Uh, there were five piece. He wasn't singing at first. Uh, uh, I met Adam and Ben in college. They were in the same program I was in. It was like recording and music and stuff. So I met them, I think it was the very beginning of my sophomore year. We met up and I started hanging out with Ben because we both liked, you know, shredders and, you know, slamming beers. And we were like 20 years old. So we started hanging out, we started playing and he was like, oh my God, this guy can play super fast. We got to get him in the band. So I ended up joining the band that way. <laughs> they had to teach me everything. I didn't know really much about thrash because I, I got into music kind of in complete isolation. So I didn't go in order. I went from classic rock way over to like power metal and prog metal and skipped, like I skipped Megadeth and Metallica and stuff. So I had to go back and learn how to down pick, learn how to, you know, do all the old school stuff again. So what was it like flying out to Germany and recording The Executioner with Andy Klassen? That's what I remember of that. I remember it being pretty funny. We were really young. I know for me it was my first time leaving the country. Uh, I don't think any of the other guys had been to Europe before. Definitely hadn't been somewhere where nobody spoke English, which was really funny, us winging it the first time doing that. And I remember that Ben was old enough to drink beer with me there. I had just turned 21 or 22 maybe. We were excited that we could go to the bar together. And, man, it was fantastic. We were in this beautiful small town that had like a 500-year-old old town. I'd never seen anything like that. And when one of us was recording, the other ones of us would just take long walks down the road and just exploring the place. Andy was super cool. Yeah, great memories. And we actually uh, – he had just finished up – recording Crisian doing Southern Storm. And we ended up on tour with them when Executioner came out. And it took us till halfway through the tour when we were like, wait a minute, you know Andy Klassen? Oh my God, he said he had just finished up with a Brazilian death metal band. And they were like, oh my God, he said he was about to start with an American thrash band that was really young. Did you guys eat all the Nutella we left there? We're like, yeah. <laughs> so that was kind of neat. Yeah, Andy was really, really cool. Uh, we made a music video while we were out there. It just felt really surreal being like, holy crap, we like moved to LA and now we're getting flown across the world to record a record. It's so crazy. So I don't know. It was, it was a trip. It was really, really fun. It, I've been addicted to travel ever since and I really, really like Europe. Now, can you tell me about your favorite recording techniques from that album? Executioner. Ah, man, I mean, we kept it pretty raw. We kept it very, there's not like a whole lot of effects or anything fancy going on. He was just like, I'm going to dial it in pretty simple. He had, you know, he had a Marshall. He had some cool old amp that sounded kind of like a Marshall with a little more gain. I think we used that for the leads. Uh, I learned what stuck out to me about his recording was we came in, he had a really small room to work with and we were like dude we're gonna record drums in a room this small but man he knew his kit and he knew his room and he had dialed it so well that like it sounded fantastic and it was like cool to me to see someone who had worked with one setup for a long time and had completely mastered it that was pretty neat now what was it like recording the song panic i don't know i have a funny relationship with that song fans love it 
Like, you know, to this day, if I go to a metal show in L.A., some kid will yell, panic, if he, like, from across the room. And it was the only one. We tuned down a half step for that one. It just sounded like the thing to do. So it's a little different that way. And, like, I don't know, two or three takes of the solos, try to cram in as many notes as you can was kind of the idea back then. I just remember playing Panic Live, always, like, counting down. You know what? There's only three more times tonight I have to play that stupid open string A riff. Because, like, we played Panic at every single show that I was in that band, which is cool. It's a great tune. Crowd loves it. Really cool riffs. Um, You know, Dan's vocals are really cool on it. But it just got so monotonous for me that I was just like, I'm so. How does Tony Iommi even play Iron Man anymore? Like, he must want to kill himself. But I guess, like, having a stadium full of people probably helps. Like, worshipping your every move. <laughs> now, what about Next Attack? Like, dude, I used to wear earplugs when I used to see you guys. And I always, for like the longest time, I thought you were screaming Meth Attack. And I was thinking, wow, that'd be a crazy <laughs> song, too. <laughs> that's, that's the NorCal version. Yeah. What was it like recording Next Attack? Um, I don't know. I always really liked that song. It was a super favorite of mine. In fact, when we did that reunion show, I like begged for it to be the opener, um, which we ended up doing. Cause I think kind of the thing that separated us from that scene that we were in, like our, our thing that made us different in the scene, like every band had their kind of angle on it. Right. Um, like Warbringers brutal and vectors technical and complex. I think our thing was that really like, motorhead punk rock and roll vibe that we like kept in there like the merciful fate groovy i really like next attack because it's purely that side of the band of like the scorpions fans and not the sepultura fans you know i absolutely adored by the cemetery is my favorite track on the album whose composition was that that was probably the most collaborative one that's the only one I, man, I had like minuscule writing input on the album because they had half of it written when I joined the band and we wrote the other half like while I was around, but I was still new to it and Dan and Adam were like the writing team at the time. But when we did By the Cemetery, we were in LA. I don't know, it was really fun. I love that opening solo. Like I love getting the solo over changes and I didn't get to do it in that band a lot. Um, I love the grooviness and I got to have the input of a, kind of taking the riffs and ideas and shifting them around to different keys to keep things moving but familiar. It was like something a lot of the bands I listened to were doing. So it ended up like it has kind of a different sound. And it's about that ridiculous Italian horror movie, House by the Cemetery, if you haven't seen it. What were your favorite memories of the uh, 2013 Thrasho DeMeo show? Okay, um, the 2013 Thrasho reunion show, fave memories. I remember that Nunslaughter played, and one of my friends just kept calling them Nun's Laughter and was just saying it over and over as we walked around trying to piss people off, and that was pretty funny. What do you think? The fact that uh, we we thought this was the last time we would ever play together, like we thought that was pretty likely. So Dan had the idea of, like, I'm going to bring a cheap guitar and I'm going to smash it. Like, I'm doing it. Like, this is how we're going to sign off. We're like, cool. And Carlos is like, yeah, I'll flip my drums at the end. And we're like, awesome. And I was just like making awful noise with delay pedals and feedback and we flipped over and we were like, this is going to be so cool. And we did it. And then immediately it clicks in our heads of like, 
this is a festival with an extremely tight turnover time, and we just, like, dumped the mic'd up drum kit all over the stage. (laughs) And these huge bouncer dudes just rush the stage and are like, what are you doing? And they're we're just like, oh, my God, I have never gotten out of a venue that fast in my entire life. And as far as I know, I think we just, like, left. So... I don't know. Fueled by a fire probably hates us now. And I, I like apologies if Esther is listening. Like that was kind of a dick move. We were young and just ran for it. <laughs> what else? I don't know. It was just fun, fun going back to those songs. Uh, ben and I were in Warbringer at the time, so my like thrash chops were really up, and it was cool to revisit all those tunes and play them again. Now, what inspired this talk of a second reunion show going on now? Or I mean, just I saw a Facebook post and I'm thinking, wow, yeah. I need to I need to talk to you, you know. Definitely. Um, yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you hit me up about it. You're of course like an early adopter, like you've been there since the beginning. So if anyone should be the one talking about it, it's definitely you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, man. So, man, it kind of came out of nowhere. I was visiting home over the summer, so I'm in Seattle now. Uh, I left LA to move up here in June. Uh, I wanted to go visit home in the summer because it's always really nice in Pennsylvania in the summer. But with COVID, I didn't want to fly. So I drove by myself across the country just to get outside for a week. I hung out uh, my, you know, with my folks in the country for a while. And then I went to Pittsburgh. I wanted to spend some time in the city. And I just texted Dan and I hadn't seen him in years. And said, hey, man, it'd be cool to see you. Let's have a cup of coffee or a beer or something. I went to his house, you know, we just caught up, we're hanging out, had a beer. I remember it was very, very hot out, so we had a beer. We got to reminiscing about stuff, and it kind of, you know, I told him that, like, people still really like this band, man. Like, you know, I went to see King Diamond in L.A., and I got stopped by, like, four kids, which is crazy. That record's a decade old. And I was like, oh, anytime I go see, like, an old-school band, like that Halloween reunion show thing they did, or, you know, anything of that era or that ilk where the thrasher kids might be out like yeah people dig it and i got messaged by a brazilian kid asking who produced the meltdown version of executioner and i got to send him back cracking up like we recorded that ourselves in a basement with like the worst gear imaginable dude so we were reminiscing about stuff like that and we kind of put together that like oh everyone talks again everyone's like cool with each other everyone's like kind of friends again like we all had kind of like come back onto each other's radar ben and i were hanging out a lot again and dan was like man that would be really fun to do another record i don't really want to go on like extensive tours and that's not the life i want but if we could do it on our terms we're not a bunch of kids anymore i would love to do it and i was like yeah i've always thought it would be really fun and then he drops you know i have like an album and a half worth of material laying around right (laughs) And I'm like, no, I did not know that. And uh, yeah, he did. And yeah, we hung out for a little while longer. And I said, send me what you have. You know, I've got a decent home studio. I have a couple of projects that work remotely now. Um, So I'm, I'm getting pretty good at that workflow. So yeah, when I got back to Seattle, we started playing around with like demoing up some songs and seeing if we could collaborate. And it works really well. So we've been doing that since September-ish. Out of all like the songs that Dan sent you, like 
but how many of them do you look at and say, yeah, this should be on the, the then, if possible, Mantic album? Um, well, he sent me, like, a variety of stuff. There's, like, there were three, like, completely finished songs, and they're all great. Every single one of them, I was like, yes. There was one that I wasn't crazy about, but once we went in and did some editing, I was like, okay, we can make this something really cool. He had, let me see, like, kind of, like, mostly finished songs. He had ten of those. Um, and then just a ton of riffs or like collections of riffs that might work well together. So honestly, there's very little in here that I would not be pumped to play. It's, it's really cool material. It's like Dan kept maturing as a musician. He's done a variety of different stuff now. Uh, he's made stuff where he plays everything and it's, it's not even in the realm of metal. It's like all the other stuff Dan's always liked. So it's cool because the metal he makes and the heavy stuff he makes, it's like, it's got a really interesting stamp on it because he fully wanted and embraced all the other stuff. It sounds like what like a second, third or fourth Mantic Ritual album would have sounded like, but it's been cool that he's kind of, yeah, he's just kept developing in isolation as a writer. And I really like that, that he still has his sound, but it's still been developing just kind of untainted by whatever anyone else in the world is doing. I know you recorded a cover of the Scorpions Blackout during the Executioner album, and um, I actually tracked down a copy of that. Um, I was wondering, um, where were you going to put that in the album, for starters? We were really dead set on putting it in the middle. We were like, this isn't a bonus track, it's just on the record. We want it in there. And the record label was like, "Uh uh-huh, sure. And then when we got the CDs, we were like, where's Blackout? And they were like, what are you talking about? (laughs) I think a lot of times it's because record labels need bonus tracks for like the different editions that get released around the world. So if you record a cover or something, they're like, cool, bonus track's done. Just use it for that. I remember, um, I think you were saying it, or maybe somebody else in the band was saying it, that... With every new Mantic album, you guys were going to do a uh, Scorpions uh, cover. Um, <laughs> what are some covers that you've thought about saying, you know, like, um, no pressure, but like if there's going to be another Mantic album, dude, what's going to be the Scorpions cover? <laughs> Man, okay. I didn't know it was we were committed to a Scorps cover, but I, I think that's completely fine with all of us. We've all always, that band's like the Beatles of metal, man. We've always liked them. I would say, like, man, I'm surprised to know that it has to be Scorps. If uh, I would, I was already like rolling through the Merciful Fate songs we want to play. But for Scorps, we talked a lot about Steamrock Fever back in the day. I, of course, would love to do any of the Uli Roth stuff. Uli Roth is one of my absolute faves. So Sales of Sharon and all of that stuff. I really have always wanted to cover Crying Days, but I don't think that would be good for Mantic. I think probably what would work for Mantic is anything from like Love Drive, Blackout, kind of that era. But I know I'm way more of a fan of the like early 70s stuff. So who knows, man? It can be anything from like Dynamite to Speedy's Coming. (laughs) Okay, now I had an interview with Dan like seven years ago, and he told me about two new songs that were recorded with Dave Watson. Um, what were they like? I'm talking about like the Dan Wetmore songs. Oh yeah, I know exactly which two songs you mean. It was a really fun session. Um, yeah, 
they uh i still remember the working titles of those songs too well, one of they, them was like uh fast g sharp <laughs> um and thanksgiving song <laughs> i don't know how those names came up bands get weird when you all hang out together for too long you know <laughs> so fast g sharp was in g sharp and it was really fast and it had this killer bridge section we're at that's absolutely going to be on the new record so you'll hear that one don't worry the other one was like a dark mid-tempo thing and i remember at the time loving it it had like a pretty melodic chorus for us and a cool mid-tempo verse with some neat little like catches in the rhythm and we were all really stoked on it because we didn't have a whole lot of mid-tempo stuff at the time so it, it felt really awesome and like a new development but now Dan has written like a ton of cool mid-tempo stuff. So when I listened to that one, it really didn't hold up as much. Any desire to make any more Mantic Ritual comedy shorts? It's really funny you should mention that. Um, I was bombarding the group text the other day. Like, I absolutely, like, I'm kind of mad that Dan made that Facebook post and kind of spilled the beans because I would have loved to do it with one of those stupid comedy videos we used to do. <laughs> like those were so great. And that was like the real essence of that band was like, just like a bunch of awful, bad senses of humor, hanging out and having a good time. We had so much fun with that. So I, if I have anything to say about it, there will absolutely be like more silly videos. What are the three coolest items of Mantic Ritual memorabilia you have in your collection? Hmm. I don't have a ton of memorabilia, honestly. Like, I I found a copy of the record on vinyl a few years ago. That was cool. Um, I definitely have things that bring back the memories from it. Like, uh, I have one pedal that I've had the entire time, my noise gate. And man, it just like lived all the way through Mantic and all the other bands. So that thing is just still with me. I get a little warm fuzzy every time I see it. Yeah, what do I even have from Mantic days? I guess some of the t-shirts. Oh, I have a, I have a Gary Holt guitar pick. Uh, Exodus was the first like famous band that we ever played with. We all have really good memories of it. They were really, really cool and treated us well. And like, I'm not even an Exodus fan. I'm not like drooling over the fact that I hung out with Exodus. I don't even like that band. But they were really cool and really good. I remember seeing them like still having fun at Soundcheck, which is like amazing for a band at that point in their career. I remember pulling my Strat out of its case and Gary just running over like, hey, I'm Gary. And I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> and he's like, dude, you play a Strat? Oh my God, I wish I could just play a Strat. Richie Blackmore is my fave. It's what I played back in the day. But, you know, I got endorsements with all this spiky stuff now. So... <laughs> But he was, I remember starting to play Kill the King and he and Tom came over and were like air drumming and belting the lyrics. Like, so the Gary Holt pick brings back cool memories. Dimming of the finish of my guitar. The guitar I played all the time in this band, it started out white and boy, it's very beat up and yellowed and it looks like it aged 50 years from being in that band. So I guess I can consider that sort of memorabilia. What is the most cherished album in your musical collection? So I'm sitting beside my record collection right now, so let me take a look. Um, okay, cool things coming off the top of my head. I haven't reordered it since I moved. So we have Sonrisa Salvaje, which is David Lee Ross, Eat Him and Smile. 
in Spanish because they did a Spanish version of it to try to sell it to the Spanish-speaking world. Apparently it flopped, and you can find them at record stores now. I have a copy of Becker's Perpetual Burn that's like Korean and actually from like original pressing that's pretty cool. I never thought I'd find that one. Uh, Wendy Carlos. My Wendy Carlos records are very near and dear. They're probably my favorite ones in the in the whole collection. Yeah, I guess those would be the main ones. It's tough. I have I, I filled up like the standard IKEA record shelf. I have a full one, so there's a lot of records in here. You know, any of the ones that have been like gifted to me. What is the coolest urban legend or ghost story about Pittsburgh? I mean, what I mainly think of with Pittsburgh with that is it's George Romero's hometown. So I think an urban legend is that like everyone's parents know someone who was a zombie in Night of the Living Dead. And I think at this point, like half of them are full of shit. (laughs) But it's just like kind of a thing around of like, oh, you know, your uncle Mike's in one of the scenes and like. So we have a lot of, like, creepy graveyards that look like they're from zombie movies. I didn't grow up right in Pittsburgh, but I know my town had an urban legend that this one graveyard had, like, the gates of hell if you went there on Halloween or something. But I think every small town has that exact one. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. You'd have to ask the, the other guys all grew up, like, in Pittsburgh. They might know one. I'm sure there's something about like an abandoned mining tunnel or something. There's tons of that. Like, uh, there's a lot of like the ruins of the past industrial age there. That's all like kind of rust belt abandoned stuff now. So I'm sure people made up a ton of stuff around that. Would you like to go back to any questions? Kind of. No, I mean, I'm just really bummed that I don't have any mantic memorabilia. I have tons of good memorabilia from Warbringer. (laughs) Oh, man, and also, uh, dude, I got a uh, test pressing of uh, The Executioner. No way. Yeah, ordered from Germany. It was only like 20 or 30 bucks, too. Even. That's killer. Man, you have so much more Mantic stuff than I do. I don't even think I have a t-shirt anymore. <laughs> I, had to, like, I had to buy the vinyl because I didn't have a record player. I was like, wow, we got vinyl. I didn't own a record player then. So I gave it to my parents, and they like mounted it in a little picture frame on their wall. <laughs> so... When I actually got into records, I had to, like, I think it was, like, a birthday or something. My wife bought me a copy off, like, some French guy. Um, yeah, I bet you have all kinds of cool stuff. You were like, I have the Japan copy and the copy of this magazine. And I'm like, wow, I've rarely heard of any of this stuff. Yeah. Um, final words? Thanks for the interview. Thanks for being the first one to get some press on the fact that we're back at it. Um really excited and like we actually are excited we were kind of cautious going into it just trying to see how it was going to work and we wouldn't have done it if it didn't seem like it was going to be good like we had a talk and said this album has to be a step up in every way or it's not worth resurrecting a decade dead band for but so far it looks like it's really cool and everyone's like more excited than they expected to be in the beginning so Thanks for asking about it. We're really excited to make new music for you guys. And uh, yeah, I guess that's it. Everyone stay tuned. We'll try to get updates out there soon about the state of the record. And of course, stay tuned, but be patient because we're cranking out music at a really fast rate right now. 
but there's all the logistics of we need to find a record label, we need to find, you know, work out the deals and blah, 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 find a studio. So that stuff all takes time. Granted, we're in this very strange point in human history right now when it's like, what else do we have going on? So I think it's actually going quicker than it might. Yeah, man. Stay tuned. I think that's all I got. This has been an interview with Mantic Ritual guitarist Jeff Potts on November 1st, 2020 by Nick Perkel.